You are listening to Cornelia Church. Passion for God, compassion for people. All right, good morning, good morning, good morning. How you guys doing this morning, huh? Boy, it's good to see you this morning. Full house today. Seems like uh, people are getting back in school. Kids are getting back in school. Everybody's getting back to things, and uh, so that's a, that's very very good. I want to give you a heads up for parents and all of you that work at schools in any capacity. We're going to be praying for all of our kids and administrators and teachers and all those who are in the school system next week. Um, our kids are actually going to be with us next week as we celebrate baptisms together during the service. We want to take the opportunity to go ahead and, and pray a blessing on all of our all of our students as they go back to school and the teachers as they deal with all the new school year and all the things that are going on. So make sure that you're uh, a part of that next week. Uh, Also, I want to highlight to you what Caitlin just said on the screen about Emerging Leader. Emerging Leader happens in just a couple of weeks on August, I believe it's 26th and 27th, or 27th, 28th, that Friday, Saturday at the end of August. You need to be there. Uh, If you've never been an Emerging Leader, uh, it is one of the high points really of our life as a church every year as we gather together for worship and for learning and for teaching and and uh, it is going to be really really good and I, I know you know I can just sort of say that and you can say well yeah he's just promoting it because it's his thing and everything well it is my thing but um, the guy who we're bringing in uh, Pastor Dan Backens I was talking with him uh, this last week and I really respect this man he's been in ministry for 40 years and has uh, just loved on his church and built a wonderful church. He's a man of prayer, and our topic is going to be prayer. And you are going to learn at a deeper level how to pray, what prayer means. You're going to be inspired in prayer. And I am really, uh, I believe right now as a pastor that our call and quinity in this church is to raise the temperature of prayer in this house. Uh, and, uh, and we are called to the ministry of prayer. That's not just some other person's job. It's not some special prayer person's job. It is actually every job uh, of every believer that's in this house is to pray. And so uh, I want to encourage you, if you got a vacation plan that weekend, cancel it. You know, it's not going to be that great a vacation anyway. Uh, you'll probably end up in the airport, and you're going to be delayed, and your flight's going to be canceled, and you're going to get sick, you're going to get COVID, and all those kinds of things. Just be here in the house on that weekend. It's going to be good. I do want to encourage you, please do uh, be with us Friday and Saturday. Uh, you don't want to miss it. It's going to be uh, a highlight, as I said, of our year. Okay, we're going to continue our series on Philippians. We've been talking about joy in the journey, this incredible little letter that we find in the New Testament. Uh, And we're going to be looking at chapter three today. If you have missed any of the series, it's okay. You're going to be able to get right in and right on board on what we're doing. We've been looking week by week at each one of the chapters. And it's incredible how this book really speaks directly to us in our life, in our culture today, right where we're at. And the Apostle Paul is writing this, this letter, this letter of friendship to the church at Philippi. It's one of the churches that he actually planted during one of his missionary journeys. You can read about the planting of the church at Philippi in Acts chapter 16. You have to remember when we're reading the New Testament, we're reading historical documents. We're not just reading just sort of nice spiritual writings that someone uh, came up with. We're actually reading uh, the men and women of the early church. Uh, In this case, Paul, who is an apostle, who's a church planner, who loves Jesus and who knows Jesus intimately. And he's writing this letter of thanks and affection to a church that he dearly is connected with and dearly loves, which is interesting because Paul is a Jew, as we'll see in a moment, 
kind of a, a Hebrew of Hebrews, a Jew of Jews, and he loves dearly this church that is a, a people who are all Greeks. They're not Jews. They're exactly the opposite of Jews. And yet God, who as only he can do, has united uh, people that are so, so divided in so many ways, has brought them together despite of cultural divisions, despite of traditions, uh, and be, because they understand who Jesus Christ is. Uh, and, and so this letter is really Paul writing to the church and desiring for them to understand what it is to live the life of Jesus. He really wants the church at Philippi to live Jesus fully, to see him expressed in their life every day, to see them overcome the challenges in life in light of the faith that we carry. And, uh, and it's just so inspirational. Chapter one, we looked at uh, how really Paul is talking to them about overcoming the struggles of life and how they can do that. Uh, in chapter two, last week, we talked about how Less is best. And actually, as we give up, many times what we think we need and what we think we want, we'll discover Christ's life is right there and it's so much better. And then this week, we're going to talk a little bit about faith specifically and how to live the life of faith out every day. I want to invite you, if you brought your Bible, to turn to chapter three. We're going to read it, uh, the entire chapter, just a moment. I invite actually Chris, if you want to make your way up here, Chris Jordan's going to read that for us today. Uh, so if you brought a physical Bible, open up to chapter three of Philippians. If you want to follow along on your digital device, I encourage you to do that. Uh, we have our outline for today digitally available. You can go to the Church Center app, the bottom right-hand corner, hit the More button, and go to Outlines, and you'll find all of the verses that we'll be covering today and all the outlines today with fill in the blanks and all that goodness. And of course, there's always pieces of paper that you can take notes on as well. They're in the seat backs in front of you. And so if you would just pay attention uh, as Chris, who has a great reading voice, reads chapter three for us Thank today. You. Thank you, Pastor. Philippians chapter three. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. For it is we who are circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus, and who put no confidence in the flesh, though I myself have reasons for such confidence. If someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. <clears throat> Circumcised on the eighth day, the people of Israel, the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of Hebrews, in regard to the law, a Pharisee, as for zeal, persecuting the church as for righteousness based on the law, faultless. But whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ. The righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith, I want to know Christ. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participating in his sufferings. Becoming like him in his death, 
and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Not that I have already attained all this or already arrived at my goal, but I press on to take hold of that which Christ Jesus took hold of me. Brothers and sisters, I do not consider myself yet to have taken hold of it, but one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining toward what is ahead. I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which Christ God, or which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. All of us, then, who are mature should take such a view of things. And if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. For, as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. Their destiny is destruction. Their God is their stomach and the glory is in their shame. Their mind is set on earthly things. But our citizenship is in heaven. And we, we, we eagerly await a Savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Thank you, Chris. There's something powerful about reading uh, Scripture, the Word of the Lord, out loud. I want to encourage you as you're doing your devotional time that you will, as a regular practice, not only read the Bible and do it silently, but also read it out loud. Read it out loud to yourself. Read it out loud to your family. Uh, let your let let your voice actually be let your voice be heard by yourself. The Word says, "Faith comes by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God." There's a whole nother level of feeding yourself when you begin to. Speak out the word of God, not only read it silently, because then you're, you're reading it with your eyes, you're speaking it with your mouth, you're hearing it with your ears, and it becomes this very powerful way uh, for you to feed yourself spiritually. And I want to encourage you to be doing that regularly. Do that regularly. Uh, one of the greatest things that you can do for your walk, uh, faith walk, is for you to feed yourself by reading God's word every single day. Boy, I tell you what, if you wake up and read it or you go to bed and you read it, have a time when you're setting yourself aside to actually get into wor the word of God. And if you don't have that, I want to encourage you, read Philippians. Uh, you can read a chapter just as Chris did just a moment ago in about three and a half, four minutes. Uh, and, if, and the book is only four chapters long. If you just started reading this week and you read one chapter a day, you will have read the entire book twice by the time we get together uh, next week. And it will, you will feel encouraged. You will understand more. You'll feel inspired. You'll, your faith will be built. It's one of the things that we need to make sure that we're doing in our lives. Now, this morning, I want to talk to you about chapter three. Uh, and here in chapter three, Paul is talking to the church about faith and how to live this life of Christ. And, and I've, I've given you basically four points in your outline, and uh, they all start with the letter R. 
And uh, whenever a pastor gets a message and he's able to make all of the points begin with a single letter, he feels like the message is truly from the Lord. Uh, and, and so I have a message from the Lord for you today. Uh, and it all starts with the letter R. Now, and, and of course, the pastor tells him it's from the Lord himself, it's from the Lord. And he also tells himself that people will remember it better if they all start with the first letter, which both of those things are not true. Uh, and yet, here I am giving you four R's. The four R's are this. Uh, the, first of all, we're going to talk about rejoicing in the Lord. And then number two, we're going to talk about the righteousness of Christ. Thirdly, we're going to talk about how resur the resurrection of Jesus is a reality, and we're going to talk, fourthly, about how there is a reward that is coming. Uh, let me talk to you just for a few moments about rejoicing uh, in the Lord. Philippians is known as, uh, referred to very frequently as the letter of joy, because over and over again, it was, I think it's more than 16 times, Paul continues to come back to this theme of joy, And even though he is in a difficult place in his life, he's in prison in Rome, it's actually the place where his life will end. He doesn't know that at this point, but he's kind of wondering. You kind of get the sense he doesn't really know what the future is going to hold. So he's in prison. He's not able to travel. He's not able to plant churches. He's not able to go and encourage people uh, that, at the churches that he's planted. And yet he tells the church over and over again to rejoice. And he tells them that he is, in fact, rejoicing. There is a sense in which the life of the believer, the life of the follower of Jesus, should be marked by joy, should actually have a, 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 a something different about it that always people, when they see you as a follower of Christ, they get the sense that there's a joy that you carry uh, that is beyond and, and doesn't make sense in the midst of the circumstances that you're facing. He says this, verse 1, further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same thing to you again, and it is a safeguard for you. Paul says in Thessalonians, Rejoice in the Lord always, and again I say rejoice. Now, I think we have to know or at least acknowledge that when Paul is talking about rejoicing, when he's talking about joy, he's not just talking about a feeling. He's not just talking about an emotion. And I think we make that mistake because in our world and in our culture, it seems that the, the highest goal of our entire culture is that each one of us would be happy. That we would feel the emotion of happiness. And it seems that everyone is chasing after any way that they can to find happiness in their life, right? You, you find somebody to marry because they're going to make you happy. You find the right work because it's going to make you happy. And if you're not happy, this is what they say. If you're not happy at your work, then you're at the wrong job. You need to find something that's going to make you happy. And you, know, you, you need to find a house that's going to make you happy. And you need to get some kids that are going to make you happy. Good luck with that. And you need, I, I mean, it all seems that everything that we're trying to do do in the world is to arrange our life in such a way that we get the feeling of happiness. And I just want you to know that that is a lie. That is not the goal of our life. The goal of your life, the God's goal for your life is not to make you happy. God's goal for your life is to make you holy. It's to make you different. It's to set you apart. It's to do something inside of you. It's not to make you happy because oftentimes the feeling of happiness comes, it's just a very fleeting and physical thing. You want to be happy? You just get high. It's not a good idea though. Right? So happiness is not the right aim for your life. Paul says there's something deeper than that, and that is joy. And joy is not just a feeling. Joy is an activity. Joy is an action 
that you engage in. And when it says rejoice, he's not just talking about a feeling of joy. He's talking about doing something, having an attitude that results in an action where you have an, a thanksgiving, a heart of gratitude that is living life in a certain way that those around you see that, wow, even though there's, experience, there's situations that that person is experiencing that are difficult, they are still filled with something. Why? Because I can see what they say and what they do is marked by thanksgiving. It's marked by a heart of an attitude of gratitude. In, in, the, uh, in the old days, right, then when I was a kid, we used to sing a song, uh, Rejoice in the Lord Always. And again, I say rejoice. It was a real complicated song. Some of you might remember it who've been around for more than 20 years. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Boom, boom. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. Rejoice, rejoice. And again, I say rejoice. Boom, boom. Rejoice. It's a very, you know, very simple song. That's how we wrote songs in those days. It was just pure scripture. That was all there was to it. There wasn't real fancy like we get it today. It wasn't a whole lot of swells of the music. It was just let's sing what the scripture says, which is rejoice in the Lord always, no matter what the circumstances are, no matter what's going on, no matter what your eyes tell you, no matter what the world tells you, there is something that we must remember. We must live with an attitude of thanksgiving, an attitude of rejoicing. I read a story some years ago about a youth pastor who took a group of kids on a youth outing. Uh, not one of our youth pastors, thank God. And on this youth outing, they went climbing up on the side of a hill, and one of the kids, being a kid, a teenager, 16, 17-year-old, climbed out on a rock and lost his balance and fell and died. And uh, being a small community, the pastor had to go, and he was going to be the first one to deliver the news to this boy's parents. And so he went knocking at the door, and mom answered and kind of expected to see her son. Her son was not there. There's the pastor, and he tells her the news. And her response shocked him. Her response is just hard to believe. She, she began to cry. God, thank you that my son is in your presence right now. Thank you, Lord, that, that he is honored to, to be with you and to see you face to face, that he's no longer caught in this body and in this world and sin and the brokenness. Now he sees you as you are without any kind of separation. Thank you, Jesus, that even though he's not here right now, he's with you. Now, how in the world do you do that? When someone comes and tells you that their child has just, your child has just died, how do you break out into, I'm not saying she was going, you know, I'm so happy, thank you, you know, but there was a sense in which she had trained herself to see through the lens of thanksgiving. That even though the circumstance seems impossible, broken, and terrible, this, this world is not the end. This is not, it, it's not over. And so I have to remember that in the midst of even the most difficult of circumstances, I can see God's hand at work and I can say, thank you, Lord, because you're working in the midst of this moment. You don't learn that in the moment of difficulty. You learn that right now. You learn that by, by living a life every day of thanksgiving, of saying thank you, thank you God. Some years ago there was an email that went around entitled, I am thankful. You might have seen it. It said in part, I am thankful for the mess to clean up after the party because it means that I have been surrounded by friends. I'm thankful for the clothes that fit a little too snug 
Anybody have that issue? And nobody here, I don't think. Because it means I have enough to eat. I'm thankful for a lawn that needs mowing, windows that need cleaning, and gutters that need fixing because it means I have a home. I'm thankful for the parking spot I find at the, the far end of the parking lot because it means I am capable of walking. I'm thankful for my huge cooling energy bill because it means I am, I am cool. I'm thankful for the piles of laundry and ironing because it means I have clothes to wear. I'm thankful for the alarm that goes off in the early morning hour because it means that I have another day in front of me. And so often we'll find reasons to complain. That alarm goes off. Do you say thank you? Or are there a different set of words that come out of your, out of your mouth? It requires, it requires a certain decision, a perspective that we're going to carry, that we're going to live with a sense of gratitude, a sense of, of thankfulness to the, the, the reality that God is with us every day. They did a study some years ago. They took a group, two groups of people, one group of people. They said, every day as you get up, I want you to write five things that you're grateful for. The other group of people, they said, when you, every day when you get up, I want you to write five things that you're frustrated with. And of course, after a period of weeks, when they came back and they began to measure them, they found, not to anybody in surprise, that the group that were writing five positive things that they were grateful for in the morning were markedly, like noticeably, happier, more fulfilled, more full of joy than those that were not. But what's more is they were actually healthier. They, they, they actually found that physically speaking, the act of gratefulness changed something even in their, very, in their very bodies. It's so important for us to live with an attitude of thanksgiving. So Paul says, just, just begin with rejoicing. He says, I'm gonna, he, actually, he says, I'm about to talk to you about something that it's kind of difficult, but I want you to have the right perspective. I want you to approach it in the right way. So I want you to put on the lenses of gratitude. I want you to put the lenses on of thanksgiving. I want you to rejoice in the Lord always because if you do, it will set you up to encounter the challenges of life, the difficulties that you're going to face, the things that you don't understand. It's going to set you up with the right perspective. And that takes us to, to number two there. The number two is righteousness in Christ. He says, first of all, rejoice. And then he, then he begins to talk to them about being righteous. Now, when I say righteous, what he's talking about is how to have right relationship, right standing with God. And he addresses a, a specific thing that was happening within the churches and in, in, in the Gentile church. And uh, Philippian, uh, Philippians or Philippi was a Gentile church. In other words, they were Greeks. They were not Jews. Uh, and in the Greek world, right, you didn't have Jewish traditions. You didn't have Jewish background. Uh, and, and it just so happened that one of the things that uh, would go on would be that the Christian Jews would then come and infiltrate or visit these churches that were Greek churches, uh, and they would begin to tell the people that the right way to be uh, in right relationship with God was to do Jewish things. Because in the Old Testament, when you read the Old Testament, it's the history of the Jewish people. It's the history of the people of, that God has set apart, known as the Jews, and he teaches them how to live in right standing with him. He teaches them there are certain things that you need to do if you're going to be in right relationship with me. And, and the whole thing is about how God wants to have a relationship with them. And he gives them the law of God. And part of what, what he gives them is he, he says, hey, don't eat this kind of thing. Only eat these kinds of things. He says, make sure that you work uh, for 
six days of the week, but that you always have a day of rest, a Sabbath day, that you actually take a break and you trust the Lord. And he says, there's also this thing of circumcision, which is a funny gift that God would give us. But he says, circumcision is actually another sign that you're set apart as the people of God. And so the Old Testament is all about the people of God understanding how to have right relationship with him. The New Testament, what we find is that it actually, it, having right standing with God is not about doing the right things in relationship with God. It's actually knowing the right person that is a relationship with Jesus Christ. And this, this thing of old versus new, of trying to do the right things versus knowing the right person is something that was happening constantly in the early church. And haven't you noticed it happens even today? People will come to you and say, well, you need to make sure that you're doing these things. You need to make sure that you're doing it this way, and that's the only way that God is going to be pleased with you. And Paul says, no, no, actually, there's something else that I want to make sure that you understand. The point that Paul is making here, I don't want you to miss it, the point that Paul is making is that being a good person doesn't get you anywhere with God. Being a good person doesn't get you anywhere anywhere with God. If you're taking notes, you might write that down. You might circle, underline, and put an exclamation point because this is one of the things that we believe in our culture and we repeat to one another over and over and over again as if it actually meant something. Everybody wants to be a good person. Everybody says, I'm a good person. Everybody's trying to be a good person. I wanted to tell you that when it comes to your relationship with your Father in heaven, being a good person will get you nowhere. I'm not, say don't be, I'm not saying don't be, a, don't be a good person. I'm just saying it's not going to make you holy, righteous, or pure. It's not going to take care of your sin. There is no amount of good things that you can do that's going to fix you, uh, the you problem that you have, which is a sin problem which is a wickedness problem, which is a brokenness problem. And we all have this issue that's in our hearts, and as much as we try to shine it up and spiffy it up and make it look good and wash the outside and act really good, if we don't actually address the core heart issue, being good will get us absolutely nowhere. But just as today was happening in the early church, that there were groups of people who were trying to, to say, hey, you need to do certain things in order for God to accept you. So he says in verse 2, watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. In other words, those circumcisers that cut. In Galatians, Paul actually, he, he talks about the same theme. He says, yeah, if they're so obsessed with circumcision, why don't they just cut the whole thing off? I just want to make sure you're awake. <laughs> he says this, for it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit. In other words, not a physical mark on our body. There's actually an inward mark, a spiritual mark. That is, we're serving God by his spirit. And we boast in Christ Jesus and we put no confidence, he says, no confidence in the flesh. In other words, no confidence in your good works, no confidence in your ability to be a good person, no confidence that somehow you're going to be a better person than somebody else or that somehow your good works are going to get you in at the end of the day that God's going to say, oh, well, he did, he did a pretty good job. He tried really hard hard. He did a little bit better. No, Paul says we have no confidence in those things whatsoever. Even though, and then he does an interesting thing in verse 4, he says, even though I myself have reasons for such confidence, and then he kind of gets in a, into a spitting war with 
these guys that he's talking about. And he begins to list off his credentials because truth be told, he has all the reasons to be right with God. When it comes to the Old Testament, he's got them, he's got them all. He's got them in spades. It says, if someone else thinks they have reasons to put confidence in the flesh, I have more. I've been circumcised on the eighth day of the people of Israel. He's born in. He's the tribe of Benjamin. He's not even just a part of Israel. He's actually a part of the tribe of Benjamin, which is one of the special tribes. That's where Jerusalem is in their territory. It's one of the tribes that never left God the Father, even though all the rest left them. Uh, he says, I'm a Hebrew of Hebrews. In regard to the law, he's a Pharisee. The Pharisees were interested in the law of God. They study, They spent their entire life studying, essentially, the Old Testament, the law of God, and figuring out how to follow it. They were so passionate for God's law that they would do anything that they needed to do to get their lives in order so that they fulfilled the law. As for zeal, he says, persecuting the church. He's so passionate, he actually went against the, against the early church before he knew Christ. He, he believed he was doing in his heart the right thing, protecting the law of God. As for righteousness, based on the law, faultless. In other words, if anybody had reason to get into heaven based on their good standing with God, their good works, the things that they've done, it would be Paul. But Paul says, listen, none of that matters. The second bullet is this, getting Jesus Christ is better than everything else, is what he says. Being a good person won't get you anywhere, but knowing Jesus Christ is better than everything else. Verse 7, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. In other words, those things in the past that I worked for, that I thought were good, I thought they were going to get me somewhere, I thought they were worth something, now I realize they're all worthless. In, when it comes to knowing Jesus Christ, everything else pales in comparison. Verse 8, what is more, I consider everything a loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage. In other words, I consider them street trash. I mean, it's like this is, the, this is the stuff that you throw out that's completely worthless. This is not the kind of stuff that you're going to go dumpster diving for because there might be something good in there. This is something that is complete. And he says all of the, the records, all of the history, all the, the work that I've done, all, all the good things I've done in my life, all, all the heritage that I have, none of that means anything. It's the same as trash in comparison to knowing Jesus Christ. He says, I consider them garbage that I might gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. The good news is your good works will never get you in, but a relationship with Jesus Christ counts every single time. That is his righteousness because he is perfect and he is holy and he is pure and he took on all of the scorn and all the shame of the world and he went to the cross and he shed his blood to wash us of our sins so that we could become the righteousness of God through him. And so every time we think we got it, we just have to remember, no, all, all, all of that stuff ain't worth anything in comparison with knowing Jesus Christ. It's clear that Paul is passionate He's passionate about Jesus Christ. He's passionate about knowing him. He's, his whole life is sur surrounded and centered around him. He keeps returning to this topic over and over again. He just, he's obsessed with Jesus. 
And, and, and he wants you and I as, as followers of Christ to, to catch, I think, some of his passion. He wants us to begin to understand what it is to, to, to want Christ so bad that you begin to understand that all the other things, all the other titles, all the other things that you worked for, all the other things that you think have made you something, they're actually, they're not worth anything in comparison to Jesus. In other words, you throw everything else out if it means Jesus is the one that I'm going to get because he's worth, he's worth everything. And I, and I think sometimes we confuse passion with the idea of, uh, of we think a, a passionate person is about Jesus is, is a, when we picture passion, we picture that person who's always talking about religious stuff. And they're really obnoxious and they really turn you off because all they do is talk about Jesus and talk about the doing the right things. And, and, and so many times they kind of push other people to the side because they seem so obsessed with religious things. And I want, I want you to know that that's not what Paul is talking about, and that's not what uh, being passionate for Jesus means. And I think this illustration is, is useful if you think about a pair of glasses that you wear, and the pair of glasses is your relationship and your passion with Christ. And if you put on the glasses, then you see the entire world through the lens of Jesus Christ and your passion for him. And that means everything that you come to, every decision that you're, you're, you're facing in your life, you're asking yourself, Jesus, what would you, what would you want to do in this situation? What's the right thing? Thing for you, Lord, when you come to your finances and you're thinking about how you're going to spend your money, you're thinking, God, what would please you when it comes to my money and how I'm supposed to steward it? When it comes to the people around me, my, my relationships, my spouse and my kids, Lord, I, I don't want to treat them in a way just to try to get something out of them. I want to treat them the way that you would want to treat them. Lord, would you, would you help me see through your eyes? Would you help me feel with your heart? And, we, and, and when you have the lenses on, you're not having to talk about him all the time, but you can't help but see the world through him because he's the most important thing to you and your whole life is about Jesus and, and, and you're, you're not trying to convince other people to do things. You want them to understand that he will change everything if they will simply receive the glasses. But the moment that you get the glasses a little bit off, the moment they get a little bit dirty or they get a little uh, tweak, chueco for those of you that speak Spanish on your, on, on, on your nose, you, you don't see quite right anymore. And, and, you, and you discover that you're, you're a little bit off and you, you have to get back to center. You have to get back to the right priority and the right focus and putting Jesus at the center of everything. Number three, resurrection is a reality. Resurrection is a reality. He then begins to speak after he talks about all the list of things that others want you to do to get into heaven. Others want you to do all the religious things. He says, that's not worth anything. He says, actually, there is something that's worth everything, and that is, that is the resurrection of Jesus. Verse 10, I want to know Christ, he says. Yes, to know the power of his resurrection and participate in his sufferings, becoming like him in his death, and so somehow attaining to the resurrection from the dead. Now, there, there's two sides to the reality of the resurrection. There's, there's, there's two sides to the, sort of the coin of the resurrection. One side is that the resurrection is a fact to be believed. 
We know the fact of the resurrection. If you've been to Sunday school, if you've been to catechism, if you've been to church, we all know the fact that we can quote about Jesus, how he came to earth 2,000 years ago. He lived as a human being. He went to the cross. He was sacrificed on the cross. He died, and he was put in the grave for three days, and then he rose back to life and demonstrated that he had defeated sin and death. That's a fact that you can believe, and many times we will quote that fact, we will say that fact, we can confess that fact with our mouth, but if we don't actually move beyond that fact into experience, then it is nothing more than a fact. It has actually no power to it. There's another side to the coin of the resurrection, right? Because if, you, if you're your understanding of the resurrection is just a religious thing where you think that that is true, but you don't experience it in your heart. You're the same, you're the, you're the same as, as a person who watches others swim in the, in the pool. And, and, you, and you learn about what swimming is like from observing others swimming in the pool, but you yourself never get in the pool. You know just about as much as the resurrection if you only know the fact, oh, I know about that, and water and H2O, but once you jump in the pool, suddenly your experience completely changes everything. If you don't believe me, try it. Because the resurrection is not just a fact to be believed, it's, it's a reality to experience. And, th- and this is really when, when people cross the bridge from knowing about Jesus to knowing Jesus. Because when, when we actually come into a full understanding, a full experience of the resurrection, we begin to realize that, that there's more to this thing than just a nice idea. Jesus is not just a mystical teacher giving us some kind of neat spiritual concepts. He's a person who we actually are in relationship with, who sends his spirit to live inside of us that has the power then to transform everything about us. See, when Paul says, I want to know the power of the resurrection, what he's talking about is not an ideal concept or an idea. He's talking about a relationship with the very spirit of God that moves into our spirit, that makes it possible for us to have a relationship with God and gives us power for transformation, gives us power to change. It gives us power to overcome things that we can't overcome on our own. It gives us power to break addiction and break the things that we keep going back to, the things that we keep feeding on that are destroying our lives. It gives us power to forgive people that we didn't think it was possible to forgive because they've hurt us so badly and traumatized us in such deep ways. It gives us power to love people that we thought we never could love because we have every reason to hate them. It gives us power to give beyond what we thought was possible. Power to change when we can't ever change ourselves. There's a power that he actually says is available. And Paul says, I want that. I want that. Because when I come into contact with the risen Jesus Christ, his resurrection power that lives inside of me, I actually plug into the same power that raised Jesus from the dead that makes it possible for me to live differently. Don't you want that power? But he doesn't leave it just as power, which I think is interesting. He then goes on to say, not only do I want the power of the resurrection, I also want to participate in his sufferings. Now, that's where we go, wait a second. I'll take the power, but I'm not sure about the suffering. But there are two sides 
of the same coin. They, the one doesn't come without the other. We actually experience the power in the midst of the suffering if we allow Christ to do the work inside of us. We have to think about Jesus' sufferings for a second. When it comes to suffering, uh, what Jesus suffered on the earth, all the rejection that, and abuse that he received, you have to think about he didn't deserve any of it. He was completely innocent. When we're talking about suffering, oftentimes what we'll get, what we'll do is, is we'll begin to think about how we don't deserve what we're receiving. I know this is probably something for somebody else. You can save this for later, but for, for your, your brother, or your sister-in-law or whatever, they need to hear this. But, uh, but, but we, we will play this game, and I'm not talking about the stupid stuff that you do in your life to cause suffering. We all do that. I'm talking about as sometimes as followers of Jesus, we get into this thing where we think we've done enough good things to not deserve the bad things that happen in our life. And we get an attitude that says, well, wait, wait, wait a second, God, what, I, how do I deserve this? You know, I, I, I've been doing the things. I, I've, I've been going to church. I've been reading my Bible. I've been praying. I, I'm dedicated to you. My life is for you, God. And, and now why is this going on? Why is, is my marriage in a mess? Why are my kids the way that they are? Why are things going on around me? And, and, and we'll start to say, why, God? Why do I deserve this? And Paul says, well, that's a completely wrong perspective. If that's your perspective, then you haven't really understood or embraced what it means to participate in his sufferings. Because in the moment that you think you don't deserve it is maybe the moment that you begin to enter into just a little bit of what Christ experienced because he didn't deserve any of it. And so it's an opportunity for us then to step into a moment where we say, God, now I, I just feel just a little bit perhaps of what you experienced for me on the cross. Just a little bit. And so God, would you, would you begin to change me? Would you change my perspective? Would you change my understanding? Would you refine me? The truth is, is that the sufferings that we experience in our life have the power to transform us and actually make us beautiful. And we need it because you guys are ugly. Because we're ugly. We need transformation. We like the, the transformation to happen only through the power side. But Jesus says that there's also there's the suffering side. And if we embrace the power of the resurrection, we're going to embrace the entire power of the resurrection, that he has the power to walk us through every single moment of difficulty. And in the midst of the suffering, we embrace what he's doing because we understand that he's working in the middle of all of that. And so his worst moment was also the best moment for each one of us. And we get to step in and say, even Lord, this seems like the worst moment I can imagine, but I know that you can work the glory through it. You can work something good in the midst of it. I want to participate, he says, in the sufferings. And then number four, he says, a reward is coming. Paul always has his eyes on the future. He always has his eyes on eternity. He's not just focused on living for this life. He says, not that I've already obtained all this or have already arrived at my goal. In other words, here Paul is saying at the, towards the end of his life, and he's one of the most mature Christians that we could imagine that we have an example of, and he, and he is still saying with such humility, there's a long way I have to go. There's a lot that I have to grab a hold of. There's so much more of Jesus that I have to learn and to lean into. And he says, I, I'm still pressing on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. 
He says, brothers and sisters, I don't consider myself yet to have taken hold of it. But one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining toward what is ahead, reaching out for it. There's almost a sense of groaning where he says, this is, there's a battle that's going on. It's a fight. And if someone tells you living the life of Jesus isn't a fight, then they're selling you something. Because there is a straining that goes on where we're continuing to reach out for him. We're reaching out for what he has. We're recognizing the brokenness of our situation, the brokenness of our life and our, our inadequacy and the things that are wrong. And we're going to continue to strain and say, God, in the midst of all of this, I'm still reaching out for you. I'm straining towards the goal of what is ahead. I'm pressing on, he says, towards the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenward in Christ Jesus. Paul's always looking forward ahead to a different life. He's reminding us that this life is not the end. And all the world would have us get obsessed with this life. We get so focused on this life. We'll walk out of this place today and, and, and so quickly we'll be just surrounded by culture and by media and by friends and by the world. And, and before you know it, we'll just have completely forgotten that there is actually eternity ahead of us. That what truly matters is eternity. What truly matters is the life after this life. That all the things of this world will fade away and that our life is just but a vapor and a mist and it lasts only just a moment. And, and if we focus on just this life, it's all that we will get. And Paul says there's something, there's something so much more. As a matter of fact, the way that you live today directly affects tomorrow. The way that you relate to Jesus directly affects the way that you relate to Jesus tomorrow. That actually the way that you live in relationship with Christ today, receive him or reject him, actually impacts where you will spend eternity. It has the power to bless you or to damn you. And he says, don't forget. Don't get distracted. Don't, don't, don't live the way that the world would have you live, but keep pressing on. There's a reward that comes at the end. There's a reward that comes at the end, that heaven is a, not only a beautiful place, but it'll be a place of great joy. And Jesus, at the end of time, will say to you and I, all those who have relationship with him, all those who have experienced the power of the resurrection, come on, good servant, enter into the joy of your master. I want that reward. I want you to get that reward. But part of it is living today in light of tomorrow. Let me just finish by reading the rest of the chapter. We're going to receive communion in just a moment. And verse 15 says this, All of us, then, who are mature, should take such a view of things. I think this is a good way to live, Paul says. There's a different perspective we're supposed to have. An attitude of gratitude, an attitude of rejoicing, an attitude of understanding that our righteousness doesn't, doesn't get us anywhere, that is the work of Jesus Christ, that is, that is everything. It's an attitude that understands that the power of the resurrection at work inside of us makes everything possible. An attitude that says today is just a brief, brief glimpse that tomorrow and eternity is coming. And if on some point, he says, and I love this, if on some point you think differently, that too God will make clear to you. Just pray about it a little bit longer. Only let us live up to what we have already attained. Join together in following my example, brothers and sisters. And just as you have us as a model, keep your eyes on those who live as we do. 
Love what he says, hey, be careful who you're following. Be careful who you got your eyes on. He says, make sure that you're following after people who are good examples, good models, those who are, are actually pursuing the life of Jesus, those who have a, an eternal perspective, not just a natural perspective. And forgive me for, for making the obvious connection, but far too often we follow people that we have no business following as Christ followers. And we, we follow their lives on social media and we watch them on the news and we're fascinated by their fame, we're fascinated by their beauty, we're fascinated by their lifestyle, we're fascinated by the way that they spend money and none of it has anything to do with eternity and none of it has anything to do with following Christ. And if we're not, care, if we're not careful, we'll follow them right to where they're headed. Keep your eyes, he says, on those who live as we do. For as I have often told you before and now tell you again, even with tears, many live as enemies of the cross of Christ. We're going to be surrounded by plenty of people that don't follow the way of Jesus. They're enemies of the cross of Christ. They make fun. Make fun of your faith. Make fun of, of the church. They make fun of the brokenness of the church. They point out all the foibles of the church. And there's plenty of them. There's plenty of them. Their destiny, he says, is destruction. Their God is their stomach. All they do is they try to pursue feeling good. That's what it is. God, their God is their stomach means that they're living for themselves, for their nature, whatever they can do to, to get a high, right? Whether it's good food or, or sex or power or fame, they're pursuing those things as if they really mattered and they will get exactly that says their glory is in their shame. In other words, they, they're trying to live their best life and they're bragging about it all the way, even though it's shameful. Their mind, he says, is set on earthly things. But he says our citizenship is in heaven. And we eagerly await a savior from there, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies. That's our hope. Our bodies are going to be gone. They're going to, they're going to, they're going to go into the grave, but there's going to be a transformation of this body so that they will be like, it says, his glorious, his glorious body. There is, in fact, something that comes at the end. It really matters how we live today. We're going to receive the table today. We're going to receive the, the cup and, and the bread. I think it's appropriate that we do that today. And the reminder of, of who we belong to, a reminder of where our citizenship is. And the table this morning that we're going to receive in just a moment is this, that symbol and the reality of God's grace that's given to us. Jesus' very grace that is imparted to each one of us today. And the beautiful thing about the table, the beautiful thing about the family of God is that all those who would come in are welcome. All those who would come in and desire to be a part of the family. Jesus says, come on. You don't have to be good enough. You don't have to do the right things. You don't have to have lived the right way. What you have to do is come to the person of Jesus and say, Jesus, you're the right way. You're the right thing. You're the right person. I've got to have you. And it is that relationship. It's that relationship that makes you family. And if you're here this morning, you need the table. Let me tell you, you need his grace. You need his forgiveness. You need his goodness. You need his empowerment today for what you're going through. And the only limitation to receiving this morning is that you would be in the family of God.
that you would actually know him, that you would reach out for him. And if you're not in that place this morning, then I just have good news for you. You can come into that place. You can come into that family. You can come into that relationship. All you have to do is to reach out to Jesus. And so I'm going to invite you to bow your head just for a moment and allow a moment for business with the Lord. And if you're here today and you're not part of the family and you need Jesus Christ and you want to reach out for him and you want what the table offers, then all you have to do is say, Jesus, would you save me? Because my way doesn't work. I've tried it. I've gone that way. I've found that it's empty and it's meaningless. I need you. And if you're in that place and you need to make that decision, I want to pray for you this morning. I want to welcome you to the family. If you just raise your hand or you can look at me and just kind of say, yes, I'm going to be making that decision today. I'm coming into the family of God. I'm receiving Jesus Christ. Anyone here this morning? Just raise your hand so I can see it. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Let's just pray this prayer together. Lord Jesus, I need you. I'm asking for your forgiveness. I'm asking for your grace. Wash me of my sin. Would you please bring me into your family? Would you give me your spirit? Amen. Amen, amen. All it takes, all it takes is that reaching out for him. I want to encourage you to reach out for him more often. It's not a one-time thing. It's not something we just do 20 years ago or we made a decision one time. It's a constant re-experiencing of the cross of Jesus Christ. Would you stand to your feet? We're going to receive today the, from the table and just begin. You know the, the drill. Make your way out of the aisles from on your left side and come and take uh, the cup and the bread. They're together. They're one right on top of the other and just come and begin to take And If you would, just kind of make a circle back to your seats and hold on to that. We'll receive the bread and the cup together in just a moment. We'll wait just a few more moments as the last ones make their way through. It's good to be in the family of God. It's good. Look around the room. It's good to see the people that are here. We're a part of the family. We're a family of misfits, a family of broken people. And he's invited us into his family. If you would just stand to your feet and let's just prepare to receive together. 
if you would just take that piece of bread and what I like to do is just kind of put it in into my hand take it out of that, that plastic thing and just maybe consider the bread just for a moment and imagine with me as Jesus was there right before he went to the cross he gathers his disciples together and they're around the table and he took the, the bread and he broke it and he began to, to pass it to each one of them he said take this as my body broken for you just a few short hours after that he would go to the cross and his body would literally be broken and his flesh would be torn and today this little piece of bread that we hold in our in our hand this little piece of flour and water it's more than just flour and water it's, it represents the very grace that Jesus has for us and he says hey you're going to need this you're going to need it for the journey ahead. You're going to need it for what you're facing in your life. You're going to need it because you're broken. I'm about to be broken for you, for all those broken places in your life, for all those ways that you're inadequate, for all those ways that you, you failed and don't have enough. Today, this is my body, he says. Take and eat. We'll just go ahead and receive the bread. even as we just receive that bread, we thank you for the strength that comes from your body. Thank you, Lord, that even though you were broken, you did it for us. For every, every area, Lord, today in this body, in this house, whether they be here in this room or watching online, wherever they be this morning, Lord, we're praying for your body. And I'm praying for every individual body, Lord. I'm praying that as they receive today, that the power of Jesus, the same power that raised Jesus from the dead, will strengthen their physical bodies, Lord. That wherever healing is needed inside of physical bodies today, we pray healing and life and grace and strength in Jesus' name. For every chronic pain, for every issue that they're facing, whether it be cancer or some long-term thing, in the name of Jesus, we receive healing today for everybody and God we receive healing for broken hearts and and people that are grieving and situations Lord that have left us broken in our emotions and trauma that we're carrying we receive healing today by the power of Jesus the very same Jesus the power of the resurrection that lives today inside of us Lord I just pray that that would be a reality inside each and every soul each and every heart each and every mind if you would just hold the cup up Jesus likewise took the cup and gave it to them. He said, this is my blood shed for you. The blood of Jesus that he shed on the cross that covers sin, that washes us white as snow, the blood that makes it possible for us to stand today in right relationship with the Father. The righteousness of Jesus Christ now given to us because of the work of his blood, that every sin that we have committed, every sin that we will ever commit is covered under his, his blood, the blood that's on the doorpost, the blood that washes us, the blood that separates us. As far as the east is from the west, our sin has been removed from us because of his goodness. And he says to us, take and drink, receive once again the reminder of the covenant that I have with you, that I have taken your sin and I have nailed it to the cross. Go ahead and receive that. begin to say thank you to him. Just say thank you to him for his goodness, his grace. Thank you, thank you, thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you for your, your blood. Thank you for your bread, for your body. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your forgiveness. 
Thank you for your strength. And Lord, I just pray an empowerment upon every person here today, even as we have received once again a reminder of your grace that you are with us in the midst of every situation, every difficulty, everything we're facing. God, I just pray strength would be given today for that which is needed. For those that are facing situations in their finances, God, that strength would be given. Those that are facing situations in relationships, that strength would be given, Lord. Those that are facing situations in their body, that strength would be given. Lord, that there would be the fullness of life, the very power of Jesus that would be present in our midst. We pray this in Jesus' mighty name. And everyone said, amen, amen, amen. Thanks for listening. Hope you enjoyed the message, and we hope to see you on a Sunday at 9 or 11 a.m. Visit us online at caseyhamford.com, and if you want to support our ministry, click Give. Cornelia Church, passion for God, compassion for people.